Hi, everybody, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is really exciting. He's the host of one of my favorite new podcasts, Cage Fight, where they've created a bracket putting every Nick Cage movie up against the others. And just like Nick Cage, our guest is no stranger to horror. So welcome to Michael Durante. How's it going, Mike? It's going good. How about yourself? going really well over here i'm really excited to talk about the movie that you picked but i'm also excited to get a little uh, nick cage talk in because I'm, oh, I'm a big fan of the man as well i know on your podcast it's not a solo decision but do you have a, a personal favorite nick cage horror movie i was a big fan of mandy last year which is uh, i mean i guess horror i don't know what yeah. else i would call it uh, no i would definitely call that horror i think mandy's great i also liked mom and dad i thought it was fun it's always I'm, a good time with a rage virus. I have not seen that yet, and I'm really looking forward to it, but I'm saving it for the, the podcast now, so my, my my insights are fresh. Yeah, um, you got to make sure you have the actual reaction on the on the actual show. So uh, I think that you'll like it, though. I think it's it's a fun time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. But I, I guess I would say Mandy, because I've, I've watched that one a couple times in succession because I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not great. It's not perfect, but... I mean, watching Nicolas Cage kick the shit out of a bunch of, I call them Cenobites, because that's what they are, pretty much, Yeah, was pretty entertaining. So yeah. I've, I've showed it to uh, people here and there, which is part of the reason I've watched it so many times. But I, yeah, I'd go with Mandy. I think that's a, it's a, a hard choice to go wrong with. I think that that's a really good movie. It's got a lot of really awesome visuals and a really good performance from the man himself, in my opinion. Yeah, he does so. uh, plenty of trademark screaming uh, in that <laughs> one, so yes. you can't go wrong with it. I'm going to try and do a sneaky segue here. So we've now talked about your favorite Nick Cage horror movie. Um, I kind of suspected that you might pick Mandy just because it is – it's such a unique endeavor for him, and it like it's really – it stands out, I feel like. Is the sort of – very personal kind of psychedelic horror. You mentioned the Cenobites. It does have some Hellraiser aspects to it. Is that kind of weird, trippy horror your favorite subgenre, or do those just happen to be uh, two movies that you like and and your favorite subgenres lies elsewhere? I would say, uh, I mean, my my taste is all over the place. Uh, I just I love a good spooky movie, but mm-hmm. yeah, the 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 trippy, sometimes slow burn type of horror movies are kind of my favorite. I like I like movies that are successful at building tension, which mm. sometimes the trippiness can do if you don't know what the hell you're watching. Uh, right. Which yeah, I it's kind really of, unsettling. Yeah, like which I definitely felt like the first watch through of Mandy. But uh, yeah, I would say I'm, I'm a slashers are really what got me to where I am today. But the more that I watch movies i would say i i kind of opt for the the weirder stuff slashers are kind of how you got here when was that like how long have you been into horror um i mean we talked to so many people on this show and everyone gets in at a different time uh yeah. it feels like there's either the people who get scared off really young and come back to it at a later time or the people who uh the trial by fire works and they're just into it from a very young age so i'm, oh, yeah, I'm curious absolutely. where you fall well, I mean, it was kind of a, a mixed bag for me because as a kid, I was just really fascinated by stuff that terrified me and scared the shit out of me. For example, the cover of the Corn album Issues <laughs> used to freak <laughs> me out. And so at some point, um, I became a fan of that album just because I was like, this is spooky to me. Right. So, sure. Um, but I, th- I think it started seeing Halloween on TV all the time when I was a kid because, like I said, I was a little bit – 
a little bit scared to go out of my way to watch horror movies. Um, and Halloween was just always the one that was on TV. So I caught it a bunch of times and, uh, it, it became my favorite. And then it's, it's kind of started this fascination with movies that I was scared to watch. So I got to a point where, uh, like in high school, when I started torrenting movies and stuff, I went through and watched like every series that I had been too scared to watch previously, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Jeepers Creepers was a big one for me at the time. I was a little bit uh, scared and apprehensive at first to to jump into the genre, but you know, after I got over the Michael Myers nightmares, I kind of warmed to it a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like people are always surprised at how quickly they kind of get used to the temperature of the pool, as it were. It feels like once you start actively watching horror movies, it's not as big of a step to watching the, like the really scary stuff as it is to just start watching horror movies in general, which is part of why I always encourage people to watch some of the less scary stuff if they're interested in kind of finding their way into the genre. So I, I definitely think that you're, you're a prime example of that. <laughs> Although I should say Halloween is a pretty scary movie. <laughs> it, it is really scary. And uh, I mean, I was already very scared of, like, home invasion when I was a kid for really mm -hmm. no particular reason. <laughs> and then I watched that, and I was like, all right, cool. So, like, you know, Michael Myers is lurking in, like, every shadow in the background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, I mean, what's another thing that kind of uh, made me fall in love with the movies? Because it was kind of like playing I Spy. But, yeah, knowing that in any uh, dark closet in my house could be some dude with a mask. It was a little unsettling. Yeah, and I think that that's a really great transition into talking about the movie that you picked today, which is 1979's Alien. There's definitely a lot of that kind of looking in the background and, and not being sure where it's going to come out from that you see in Halloween that also happens in this movie. So I think it's, it's kind of easy to see how you, being a fan of the one, leads you to becoming a big fan of the other. For sure. Um, I think that this is a really interesting choice, Mike, because uh, unlike a lot of the movies that we've talked about on this podcast, most of them were met with either like middling success at best or outright failure at worst. I talked recently about The Thing, and that movie just absolutely bombed. So did Jennifer's Body, which I just talked about. But Alien was a pretty big box office hit right away. It made over $200 million on an $11 million budget. It won an Oscar for special effects. Um, and over the years, it's been receiving more and more acclaim from Empire Magazine, the American Film Institute. Uh, it's already been put in the Library of Congress. So you might have an advantage here. But I think that one interesting thing that is going to come up in this discussion is that the narrowing this down to, to specifically the horror genre almost makes it more challenging for this to have to defend itself. Because I think that this is an amazing movie top to bottom. But – you know, it's it's a good movie compared to everything else. But when you're looking specifically for things that make a great horror movie, you have to kind of nitpick a little more specifically and comb through it. So I, I think that this will be a really interesting challenge for, for the two of us to, to convince everyone that this is the best horror movie of all time. So I hope you're ready and willing. I'm I'm ready. Uh, I've I've done a lot of thinking of because there's so much debate about whether or not this is a horror movie which obviously I feel that it is. And, yes, I totally uh, agree. I can find plenty of more qualified people than me uh, who can who can tell me why it's not a horror movie, but I just I don't really see how it isn't. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. Definitely. It's also I think that it's it's a very accurate comparison that this was pitched as uh, Jaws in space. 
because Jaws is another great movie that kind of gets overlooked as a horror movie or people say that it's not a horror movie. But I think that it's almost a victim of its own success where people are just so reluctant to be like, oh, yeah, I like that horror movie because they look down on the genre and they're both just great horror movies. Jaws and Alien, besides the obvious, have a lot in common so far as like they can easily be argued uh, as like one of the best movies of all time. And uh, I, I definitely feel like people are reluctant to call a movie that is considered a horror movie like the greatest piece of film ever created. But the argument is strong for, I would say, both of those movies. Alien is directed by Ridley Scott, and it was written by Dan O'Bannon. Uh, Ridley Scott is obviously a huge name in film. Uh, he directed Blade Runner. He actually received Best Director nominations for Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, and Black Hawk Down. But worth noting that Dan O'Bannon is no slouch either. He wrote the screenplay for Life Force, which was directed by Toby Hooper. Um, Aliens, the sequel to this, and uh, Return of the Living Dead, which is a great, great zombie movie that introduced the taste for brains into the zombie lore. So uh, Dan O'Bannon having a big impact on horror there. And also Total Recall, which uh, is a movie that I like. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see the... Uh the similarities between this and Total Recall, but uh, very different movies still. Mm -hmm. But Dan O'Bannon, uh, certainly an icon unto himself in terms of horror and sci-fi. So shout out to Dan. Yeah, he's um, a lot cooler than his brother Steve O'Bannon. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, this, this movie also launched the career of Sigourney Weaver. It was her first lead role. And she's supported by some incredible actors in this movie, Tom Skerritt, Harry Dean Stanton, Veronica Cartwright, John Hurt, Yafet Kodo, and uh, Bilbo Baggins himself, Ian Holm. <laughs> so always, always fun to see him pop up. Although he's so young in this movie compared to the Lord of the Rings that for yeah. like so long, so, so much of this movie, I'm like, who is that guy? <laughs> um, yeah, it, and finally it, it clicked. It takes a few uh, watch throughs to to realize who that is. And I feel like I, I feel that way every time I see Harry Dean Stanton in, in a movie. I'm like, it's yeah, it's that guy he's yeah. from Alien and other things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, He's in the background of like 50 billion movies. <laughs> and yeah. then just uh, you're just like he's just one of those guys. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy. But he at, at the very end of his life, he was in the movie Lucky, which is a movie that I highly recommend to people. It's really great kind of a celebration of his life as a character actor. So definitely check that out as well. But yeah, so it's it's really all of the pieces are in place for this to be an amazing movie right off the bat. I mean, there's some really great actors, a great writer, a great director. So uh, I mean, luckily, all the all the pieces fell into place. But it's really you can see why this movie was so good when you look at kind of where it came from. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it yet. When I rewatched it, I watched it with uh, Ridley Scott's commentary. Um, and it was my first time watching it with his, uh, his footnotes, but he's, he, he knows it's great and he's not shy about it, which I, I kind of appreciate because it's such an incredible movie. And the fact that he wasn't modest about saying like, yeah, this shot fucking rules, uh, <laughs> yeah. was, was, <laughs> kind of fun yeah uh, i also heard the ridley scott commentary and uh you're right it's it's really nice for him to not have to put on this like air of, of false modesty because the one that i listened to was recorded in 1999 so that's the 20 year anniversary and so it's really great to be able to go back and have kind of 
the hindsight of understanding its place in pop culture even at that time i mean i feel like it's only gotten even more ingrained into uh like cinema history but even back then him understanding where this movie kind of sits in the lexicon of horror fans kind of lets him approach it and really go into the depth of the the things that we want to know about all the really interesting shots and the miniature work and everything Um, yeah so it's really great the, the the point that I was going to make, but I forgot to, uh, was that in hearing uh, uh, him, you know, describe all the work that went into the practical effects and all that stuff, it's, to me, as a lazy person, it's a miracle that this movie, uh, you know, made it to post-production, because so much... Like, going onto set every day to redress a facehugger that's made out of, like, discarded meat and shellfish oh, yeah. <laughs> is... is crazy to me but i have so much more respect for ridley scott knowing how much like minute detail went into everything yeah he even mentions in the commentary that he's a big fan of actually operating the camera himself Uh, not every director does that because he said that it makes the actors feel like you're really watching their performance and it makes them feel more of a connection with you as a director so he really seems like he's thinking through everything and and wants to make as great of a movie as possible and i think that that intention is the first step in making a great movie like this is understanding how to get the best out of the people around you and how to push yourself forward as well. Yeah. And I mean, the camera work alone is very important in this movie because like the, the whole thing is just so claustrophobic that uh, it's part of the reason that it fills you with such dread because, you know, you're trapped on this tiny ship in the middle of space and uh, who knows what might be lurking behind you. Definitely. So with that note, let's start jumping in here. We launch in, spaceship pun, very much intended. Good, <laughs> with, very good. Thank you. With uh, an insanely slow title sequence. It's really great for letting you know kind of what you're in for in terms of pacing, which we've already mentioned is very slow for this movie. Yeah. Um, but this title sequence matches the vibe of the poster, something that not every horror movie does. Uh, there are so many movies that have like a weird tone on the poster or you'll see uh, in a lot of monster movies, the the poster will have creatures or something that aren't even in the movie. Yeah. Um, alien and like creature features are particularly notorious for that. So I think that it's, it's really nice to have this. Yeah. You're in the right movie sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this is what you signed up for uh, right. and, and you'll get it eventually. And I mean, uh, also, part of the reason I feel uh, confident in picking this movie is that the, you know, the title sequence alone is so iconic that they didn't really need to put a movie after it. I just watched that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, just loop that for 90 minutes. Exactly. Um, the, the studio complained at one point saying that nothing happens for the first 45 minutes of this movie. And he said that that's the point which is something that I really fully endorse. Uh, He wanted to build the characters and the world that they lived in so that when the movie pops off, you actually feel connected to them. Now, I know that you said that you like slashers. I have mentioned several times on this podcast that slashers are one of my favorite subgenres. This is something that a lot of slashers really mishandle. I love Friday the 13th in particular, but that series is definitely guilty of kind of lapsing into quantity over quality on occasion for the kills, where they're just like, eh, here's 20 campers. Don't worry about getting to know them. They won't last long. So Ridley Scott's approach here of making it so that it's less characters, but you really get to know them, is way more effective 
in terms of horror and what they're going through than just throwing bodies at the killer. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty interesting right from the jump because, you know, they're getting woken up out of cryo sleep. And I, I don't even know if it if we know how long they've been in cryo sleep, but you get this sense that they're not like they're not best friends, but you would assume they've been on this ship together for, you know, a long enough time to know each other. But they're not they're not like super chummy right off the bat, which is definitely interesting. Right. Uh, This is work for them. This movie takes place aboard the Nostromo, which is like a cargo ship for Wayland yutani It's a corporation back on Earth. I think that at one point they say, or maybe even it was just Ridley Scott saying that they're 18 months into their return voyage. But they were on, they had to get there too. Like they, they've been hanging right. out for each other. Uh, so the same way that a lot of coworkers are just like, you know what? I have to deal with you because you're in the same place as I am five days a week. That vibe definitely gets communicated here. Yeah, because um, five days a week is one thing, but uh who knows how many months uh, just being trapped in the same building together, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Also worth noting that right, right at the beginning, you already mentioned that there's some really awesome cinematography in this done by Derek Van Lint. But literally one of the first shots is uh, some helmets hanging on the back of the seat in the cockpit. And when the computers detect a signal, they like light up and they're reflecting the light from the monitors on the helmet. It's very cool. It feels very 2001 A Space Odyssey, which Ridley Scott has admitted uh, was a huge influence on him. He said that it's one of his top 20 favorite films, and it it gives you that kind of vibe. We're also treated to some really uh, incredible score here. The opening for Alien is, is one of my favorite pieces of score, which is something that I am uh, notoriously terrible at paying attention to. It was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who, fun fact, Jerry Goldsmith did the fanfare for the Universal Studios logo. He did that in 1997, which was first shown off in The Lost World Jurassic Park. So I did not know that until... I had no idea. Day. Yeah, so the uh, that's just a, a fun connection. Uh, he did the score for Alien, and it's, it's really great, especially this opening bit. So we're moving through the ship, and like you said, we're seeing them... them get slowly brought out of stasis. <laughs> One, So like I said, I, I also heard the commentary. I thought it was really funny uh, that Ridley Scott wanted them to be naked to make it as real as possible. But the studio kind of nixed that. Uh, and it's it's easy for me to see why. Because Yeah, right at the beginning, starting off the movie with, I don't know, how many people is it? Like eight people start yeah. naked, uh, which is what he had intended, is, I, it's, it's enough to put, at that time especially, probably a lot of people off in, in just the first few minutes of the movie. Uh, and then I believe he said he tried to compromise by saying, at least make the women topless, uh, which <laughs> did not happen either. Uh, no. So no. maybe settle down, Ridley Scott. Yeah, right. He need, he needs to take down a notch. Um, also, it's it's like a slow zoom, but you start like directly in front of someone's crotch. So you're like staring this dude's dong in the eye if he's naked. Yeah, <laughs> so. that, would, uh, that would be quite an interesting op- opening yeah. shot. But to counterbalance this very slow um, and methodical kind of a a waking up sequence, cuts to a breakfast scene. They're all uh, now awake. There's some really great cross chatter. It's a a fun and active scene. But most importantly, we get to meet Jonesy the cat. Very cool cat. Jonesy was high in the consideration for names for for my new cat. Jonesy is the true star of the film, in my opinion. Yes, I look, I will absolutely um, second that. And it's really great because not only do we get to kind of 
see all of these people interacting for the first time. Again, just talking about Ridley Scott's attention to detail, he mentions that they're eating bland, boring food because it's the first thing in their body after all this time. You yeah, then, something I wouldn't have even thought about, but right. interesting detail. Yeah, and then it, it kind of swings back the other way, and we leave this super loud area, and Captain Dallas goes to check in with Mother, the ship's computer, about why she woke them up in the first place. And there's a really great disparity between that chatter and the piece of uh, the Mother room. It's a really weird-looking room, though, very futuristic. Again, like you said, everything is designed to be very claustrophobic, so this sequence is uh, is no exception. Are you someone who gets nervous in enclosed areas? I'm highly nervous in enclosed areas. I would say that, like, claustrophobia is probably the closest thing I have to an actual phobia because I, I, I'm a hefty guy, and uh, I— a lot of spaces uh, are tight for me, and uh, it's never comfortable. Yeah. I'm also a pretty big guy, but weirdly, uh, I have no real issues with confined spaces. When I was younger, uh, I grew up in North New Jersey, and right around that area is a place called the Liberty Science Center. And they have one of those dark tunnels there. Oh, yeah. And basically, for those of you who aren't aware of what these dark tunnels are, it's pitch black. It's supposed to be like sort of a sensory deprivation thing. And it's like a maze and you have to just like feel your way out. But you're like crawling. It's for kids. And we were on a school trip there and I was hanging out with one of my friends in like in there and he got like trapped in a corner and got so scared that he threw up. <laughs> so we're all just like wandering around in, in this dark tunnel and all of a sudden all the lights come up and they're like, all right, everyone out now. We're just like, what the <laughs> hell is happening? But I mean, can't you like use the smell of the throw up <laughs> to find your way out? Maybe exactly. that's how you know not to go that way. <laughs> exactly. I think that they were just scared that someone would think it was a corpse <laughs> that they'd be like, oh, someone lost their kid in there and they was never picked up again. So that's that. Hey, where's that horror movie, guys? That's true. Um, but uh, I digress. Yeah, basically, it boils down to I don't have claustrophobia, but this movie, the way that it's shot definitely makes me empathize with people who do. Yeah, I was uh, I was on a plane recently uh, and I which I've done uh, plenty of times before, but this particular time I was feeling extremely claustrophobic and I wanted to scream for about two straight hours. Uh, oh, man. It's like my, my worst nightmare is getting the middle seat on an airplane because I can't think of a tighter, worse space to be in for however many hours. Yeah, it's not it's not great for sure. So for those of you who are similarly claustrophobic, be, be warned going into this movie that uh, you'll definitely feel it. But Mother says that she woke them up about halfway through their return voyage because company policy demands that any potential distress signal be investigated. And there's a signal coming from the moon LV-426. Um, nobody really wants to go, but there's a clause in their contracts that say they have to or they'll forfeit their shares of the trip that they took. Very relatable. Another group of working class stiffs getting screwed by the man. Very relatable. And the fact that they're all like, you know, they're finally almost home and they have to make another stop. And they're like, God damn. Yeah. This is bogus. Yeah, definitely. I think that this kind of theme of the company being cutthroat and not caring about like they're just like oh if you don't want to go then you lose all of your money that you would have earned from this that that theme kind of permeates the movie but also i think that it's something that really scott focuses on a lot the tyrell corporation in 
Blade Runner also seems to sort of have this effect where he likes to talk about when businesses and corporations become more powerful than uh, the governments of the places that they exist. I It's hard to believe that this movie was made in, nine, in 1979 because, God, I'm, I'm dying to know what Ridley Scott thinks of Citizens United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean the the thing about that theme is it's truly timeless because corporations will never stop being heartless and cutthroat. Mm-hmm. So uh, it movies like that or that give you uh, such a feeling don't really get old, and uh, I, that probably helps this movie. Basically, for better or worse, well, definitely for worse, they have to go down and investigate the signal. They set down on the moon, but they take some damage from the landing. So they decide that Captain Dallas, Kane, and Lambert, who are two more members of the crew, are going to go investigate, and the rest are going to stay behind and repair the ship. This is a part where the movie really shines because the models look so good. There's the Nostromo, the alien ship, and the planet, and it's all practical, and it all looks incredible. It looks um, so, so damn good. Like, I, I think uh, – was I believe it was the Nostromo was like a four-foot model, and it, it – truly looks massive another interesting detail that i didn't actually know before was that when they get off the ship they're actually kids in spacesuits to make the legs of the ship look bigger which i I mean truly disguises the fact that there is any miniatures of any kind being used there's a shot of the nostromo exterior like right after they decide to go check out the ship and you see somebody walk past the cockpit window and i literally don't know how they did it Ridley Scott points it out and does not say how they did it. And I am so curious because it looks amazing. I don't know if it's like a little figure that they just moved past the window or what, because this ship looks immense and you literally like walks, someone walks just past the cockpit window and it's, it's true. This is like when people are talking about movie magic, this movie I think is a perfect example of it where it just fools you constantly with with these with the best trickery I can imagine, <laughs> it, it really makes this rewarding uh, movie to rewatch mm-hmm. um, because you kind of pick up on those details the more that you see the scenes and pick it apart. And it, honestly, this is a, a rare movie that I feel gets better every time I watch it, and and that definitely is one of the reasons. So they enter this alien ship that they found, and uh, the lighting here is remarkable as well. Uh, here I am remarking on it. It directs your eyes exactly where they want you to look um which helps to kind of cover up the effects that maybe didn't work quite as well or you know sets looking like sets and stuff and it just like reveals these gross glimpses of shining wetness on the walls behind them and it just makes me want to take a shower just watching (sighs) them walk around everything is so damp and wet yeah it's gross back at the ship ash who is the ship's science officer and ripley are kind of sniping away at each other doing a good job of kind of establishing the tension between the two of them but there's a couple of cuts back and forth but really our focus is on the away team right now kane discovers like a room full of eggs and there's just like a cool blue mist hovering over them they say that it's literally just like a fog machine with a blue laser but (laughs) it looks cool the uh, the blue laser is the Who's Touring uh, laser. Uh, another fun fact. There you go. It's and it, it looks it looks wonderful here. The eggs themselves have some really cool effects happening as well, where like the liquid moves up the eggs instead of down them. Like it fights gravity. Yeah. And there's some 
cool movement inside that Ridley Scott was like, yeah, that's just my hand in a rubber glove. <laughs> just like I said, this this part of the movie really lets you know why this movie is so well regarded. It's just one scene after another of just this incredible work from the set designers, from the effects team, from the directors, from the actors, everything is really firing on all cylinders here. And it ju- it just looks spectacular. I can't emphasize it enough. So Kane touches one of these eggs and a creature leaps out, breaks through his helmet and attaches to his face. Dallas and Lambert carry him back, which I genuinely in these sort of movies, I'm always like a little surprised when they actually carry them back. So oh, yeah. <laughs> good good guys, uh, Dallas and Lambert. But Ripley, who is the acting senior officer, very, very reasonably cites the quarantine protocols and doesn't want to let them in. Everyone should have listened to Ripley. None of what happens would have happened if they had just not let these guys in. But Lock uh, the door and go home. Uh, yep. Call it a loss. Yep, you say, sorry, Dallas, <laughs> kick rocks. You're out of here, bro. But unfortunately, Ash disobeys and lets them in. Again, we kind of already knew that they were at each other's throats a little bit. So this is not necessarily uh, super surprising, but you're like, wow, this guy sucks. And he's like really suspicious. So it does a really good job of establishing not only the conflict there, but just a little more characterization as well. They put Kane into the medical bay and they're like poking at the creature. And it's just so nasty it's like pulsating on his face and like there's a bunch of different forms of this creature i'm curious which one is your favorite i think that this one which is uh, colloquially referred to as the face hugger is probably my favorite of the like stages of the alien i i would have to agree I, the the face hugger is extremely terrifying and the the fact that it just like suffocates you and uh impregnates you orally is is all the more terrifying and and yeah like you said it looks gross and weird it looks like a like a spinal cord with crab legs or something and honestly across the board uh all the forms of the xenomorph in this movie are like the the most terrifying things that i could think of when it comes to like a creature so just a very effective gross monster work in this one yeah i also i think it's interesting that they kind of use this as a way this like growth to well the growth that hasn't happened in the movie yet but we're talking about it that they use this as a way to kind of get more than one monster into their monster movie without having to actually have more than one so uh, just just a nice way to keep the like add some variety, uh, keep things spicy, as it were. So good job there for that team. But yeah, so they're trying to pull this face hugger off of Kane's face and the tail tightens around his neck. Uh, they cut off a finger from it. Its blood is this insanely corrosive acid that melts through like three floors of the ship before coming inert. Very um, fun scene also when they're chasing the acid down the ship. Yeah, it it is a really fun scene, and really, you're as shocked as they are. Like, they're watching it go through, and you're like, how far is this thing going to go? It's just one finger, like a splash of blood from one finger is doing this insane amount. It seems like this creature is just pure defense mechanisms. Like, everything about it is designed to not get touched uh, and moved away from its purpose. And it's highly effective at that. Yeah. So basically, the team is like, uh, I don't know what we could do here. So they literally just shrug and are like, I guess we wait. 
but eventually it dislodges itself and they find it dead. They like they go to check on Kane. They see that it's not there and then they're like, oh, shit, where the hell did it go? And they find it just laying there. They do an autopsy on it. And it's literally uh, you mentioned this earlier, but it's literally just seafood in a rubber case. It's <laughs> like right on top, right up front. I'll never not see it again. It's just a, an oyster <laughs> like right yeah. on top. But they they go through and they're like, yeah, it looks like they just gave up and they shrug and they're like, guess that's guess we're lucky. And it's just like the most insane reaction ever. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> it's fine. It's dead. Uh, I guess we should probably put this whole situation behind us. Because, you know, he's alive and we're good. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I don't remember what happened. And they're like, great, uh, problem solved. (laughs) Um, Ripley does talk to Dallas, however, during this time about Ash, um, who is – he's just, like, extremely suspicious all around. He's, like, kind of weird during the autopsy as well. And she's talking to him, and Dallas reveals that – he replaced the science officer from their last five trips together uh, just two days before they left. So you're like, oh, something very strange is going on here. Yeah, he's the odd man out from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So like I said, Kane basically just has some memory loss. And so they're all like, all right, one last meal, and then we go back into stasis. And it's here that one of the most iconic scenes of the movie happens. It's really shocking and awesome. It turns out, like you said, that the face hugger had impregnated Kane through his mouth, and he's sitting there having this meal, and he just starts, like, choking and going into spasms, and, like, blood starts pouring out of his chest, and he gets, like, moved onto the table, and uh, a chest burster, uh, well, it, it bursts from his chest. <laughs> and oh, yeah. It stays very true to the name like a fun thing that they did was nobody knew what was coming and like how much blood was going to shoot out. So you get some really fun, genuine reactions here. Uh, it was just one take five cameras. It's, it's shocking, but you know what? It's when, when you really need it, you can get those reactions. I think that so good. This sequence is, I I mean, I feel like I've seen this scene alone, probably like 10 times more than I've seen the actual movie. Uh, just because it, you know, it pops up places or I just get bored and I feel like watching something gruesome and it's, it's just so effective. It never gets old. It's, it's a very horrifying scene. Yeah. I mean, it's also been homaged in a billion movies as well. Most Um, importantly, Spaceballs. Yes. That one definitely sticks out to me. (laughs) Um, it's, it's great. It does a little song and dance. Even if you don't know it, you've seen this scene a billion times already. For sure this chest burster just like scurries away <laughs> and they're like, Oh, well shit. So they have a little nice burial at space scene. Farewell to John hurt who played Kane. It's like very solemn and, and it's, it feels like a really nice scene to me. Something that feels like someone in the editing bay was probably like, we could cut this. It feels like something worth fighting for to me. Um, yeah, I agree. It's nice. You see him get shot out the airlock. One last nice thing before, Shit really hits the fan. Um, Although it would be really cool if after they shot him out of the airlock, his uh, corpse started thrashing around or something. (laughs) Something morbid. Yeah, he wasn't actually dead. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been cool. But alas, it it is just just his demise. Yeah, keep it sweet. Yeah. (laughs) There's some more 
uh, great lighting here as they're hunting this baby alien. They're using, like, tracking devices, and uh, they're armed with nets, electric prods, and flamethrowers. And I'll say that one of those things seems like it might be effective. (laughs) I'll let you decide which one. (laughs) But there's a great shot as they open a door to a dark room, and the light just, like, pours in the entryway. Just It's just nice. It's, it's cool to watch them hunting around the ship. You get to explore the scene a little bit. Henry Dean Stanton is Brett. Um, we get to follow him for a little bit. And he's looking for Jonesy, who has, uh, in the hubbub, has sort of hidden away. And the ship is, like, creaking. And it's just really very eerie. And honestly, it kind of felt to me like the fir- the first time I saw this, I remember thinking that, this was going to be kind of like a fake out moment where they're like, oh, uh, he finds the discarded skin that looks like a snake skin and it's really nasty. Um, and then he'll just like find the cat and the cat will jump out at him. Instead, what happens is he finds the cat. Uh, the cat is like freaked out and hissing. And we get this awesome, awesome reveal of the fully grown xenomorph. The tail uh, like swings down and then the alien just drops And it's curtains for poor Brett. He never stood a chance. This introduction to the alien is so slick. Like, it's jet black now instead of the, like, weird fleshy color that it was before. It's insanely intimidating. You get to see the iconic second mouth that shoots out of its mouth. Um, So, so cool. Yeah, it's it's really great. It's it's a close call for me between the full-grown xenomorph and the facehugger because this thing is just slick as hell. It's based off of designs by H.R. Uh, Giger, as are a lot of the stuff related to the aliens here. Um, the planet and the alien ship were both taken from his designs as well. And God, this thing is gross. H.R. Giger is one fucked up guy, if you've ever looked at his uh, artwork before. And, he is um, so messed up, and I appreciate it so much. I am curious to see, because uh, I know they... they altered the design of the xenomorph to make it uh quote unquote less sexual which makes you wonder what it looked like before because i mean it's uh, the head is very phallic already oh, yeah this uh, thing looks like a penis <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so yeah so this is the less sexual version which yeah i agree it really begets the question of what the initial design looked like but unfortunately brett doesn't get to look at it for very long he gets just absolutely demolished it like it takes his body <laughs> into the like oh, yeah. ducks with them it's um, not playing around no and so the rest of the crew just like they figure out that it's getting around in the ducks and so captain dallas goes to force it to the airlock unfortunately for him it ambushes and kills him in the vents and it's funny they had to use the same 10 fi- same 10 feet of vent set for this uh area but you'd never know like it doesn't feel like it's the same 10 feet oh yeah um so just you know that kind of ingenuity that comes with having to make do 11 million dollar budget to make all of these practical effects and everything you really got to stretch that money and uh ridley scott does a great job of it by doing things like reusing pieces of the set that um aren't going to be noticed so good job for that as well the rest of them find like they hear dallas get just absolutely destroyed up there (laughs) and now ripley is in charge uh she is the senior officer and lambert is begging her to take one of the small shuttles and they'll just abandon ship. They're like, she's like, we need to get the fuck out of here. But Ripley tells her that it won't support the four people that they have left on their crew. And so they need to just continue the plan. They're like, I would love to leave, but we have to just flush it out. We have no other choice really. 
the positive thing, though, is that now that she's in charge, she can go and talk to Mother. Uh, and she finds out that the company, Wayland yutani has ordered Ash to capture and bring back the alien and that the crew has been deemed expendable. Again, this comes back up where the company is willing to do whatever it takes to to make this profit. They want to inve- uh, to research this alien and uh, and get it back. And it doesn't matter how many workers they need to step on to make that happen. It's really intense to see to get this information at the same time that Ripley does. Yeah, it's it's a very effective scene uh, because like even if you're not sure whether or not you're supposed to be reading the screen, it's hard to miss uh, the phrase "crew expendable," which uh, yeah. is not good news for any of them. Definitely not uh, good news. And so Ripley goes to confront Ash, and this dude has been creepy the entire time, but he starts literally sweating white here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's it's yeah. uh very and I just, like shrink into my seat i'm like i don't know what's happening here but i don't like it he's really gross and creepy and he's like a tiny guy but as she confronts him he just starts hurling her around the room like literally throwing her in the air he tries to choke her out and it's a really intense scene where he's like freaking out and he's spinning around and honestly i like it it's sensory overload for me he's like there she's yelling and all this stuff is happening, but yeah, it's luckily, very, very hectic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely hectic. Luckily for Ripley, Parker finds them and attacks Ash, and he, and he literally knocks his head off, revealing that he was in fact an android this whole time, which kind of lets us it, it clues us in as to why he was the one trusted by the company and why they replaced uh, the science officer with him, and you know all these things where it's like, oh yeah, well the robot would be the one good at science, so it's an easy place for him to kind of sneak in and, and get this cover. Yeah, um, and you might not be completely sure right off the bat that he's a uh, an android because it kind of looks like he's filled with spaghetti yeah uh, it was it was like uh tubes and glass marbles inside of him mixed mm-hmm. with this weird white juice definitely know he's not human but i honestly I, this twist is very effective for me because uh it's hard to say now because i've seen this movie like 10 million times but like it's just something that you don't exactly see coming like he does act suspicious and weird but the the twist that one of them has been an android this whole time with the intent of, you know, hijacking the ship essentially and transporting an alien um, is not something that you're necessarily expecting to happen. No, definitely. You're just like, oh, he's just your typical asshole character that's on that's on every ship. <laughs> um and then and then this twist comes and it, it really does take you out at the knees. I definitely agree. And so they they reactivate his head. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how they do it, but they do. And there's a great monologue here where he taunts them about their chances of survival and admires the alien as like a perfect organism. It, it's unhindered by conscience and morality. Ian Super Holmes creepy. Really Definitely. And he really gets this one last chance to shine here to to chew on the scenery a little bit before he goes and go. He does because they turn off his head and Parker incinerates it. So no coming back for Ash. But um, Ash is Ash now. Oh, yes, it sure is. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. you. Good job. And, and so he gets burned up and they're just like, all right, now it's just three of us. So we can actually fuck off in the shuttle now. <laughs> Sweet. Um, How convenient. 
Yeah. And so they're like, all right, we're going to self-destruct the Nostromo and we'll escape in the shuttle. But while they're gathering the supplies, the alien picks off both Parker and Lambert. These are really great and spooky because Ripley only hears them screaming. She doesn't get to see it. And so we kind of like, we're just like, oh God, poor, like poor Ripley. Like she is just hearing these yells in this echoey, creaky ship and she's being hunted like she's uh, like an animal. It's really intense. One thing worth noting is that the alien does find Jonesy and leave him alone. So good for you, alien. Thanks for not killing him. Not all bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I have some standards, Um, but this scene. So now Ripley is the only one left. And there's a scene here that's kind of funny because it's so tense, but Ripley manages to turn on the self-destruct and she's like running around and all these klaxons and alarms are going off. But then she gets to the shuttle and the alien is there. So she's like, shit. And she turns around and she's like, all right, I got to run back and turn off the self-destruct so I don't blow up with the ship. And then she gets there just in time for the ship to be like, you missed your chance. The self-destruct is going to happen in a couple minutes now. And she's like, fuck. And she just turns around again and runs back to the shuttle. It's so good because the the first thing that you see of the alien is it's like hands sliding up. And it looks like it's about to do jazz hands or something. Uh, And then you realize that uh, everything's about to explode again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it is very tense, but you're also like kind of laughing at it because you're just like, oh my god, Ripley is just running back and forth. She's exhausted, yeah. uh, and the ship is literally about to explode on her. But she gets back to the shuttle the second time, and hey, lucky for her, the alien seems to have disappeared. Uh, so she gets into the shuttle, and then Stromo blows up. There's some really awesome matte paintings here with some very cool shots of the explosion. It's it's. Just It's just like a nice light show. It looks very cool. And you're like, oh, great. She got away. That was the end. But the music is still going as the camera pulls back. And so the music is telling you that it's not over. This is, I think, a really great indicator of how important score can be to a movie. Um, I know that I've already said that I am notoriously terrible about paying attention to score. But this movie does a really good job of making you pay attention to it. The opening score is great and really captures kind of the spirit of what's happening. It communicates with you through this music in a way that I think is really impressive. And so you you know, you are still feeling like something's about to happen just because of the music. And Ripley starts preparing with Stasis. She did manage to scoop up Jonesy on her way uh, to the shuttle. So she's there with Jonesy. This is a very exciting scene for many a young person. <laughs> Uh, Ridley Scott said the studio was upset that there wasn't any sex in the movie. So this was their compromise uh, was that uh, Ripley starts undressing and she gets into her underwear and she's wearing a very thin, flimsy uh, shirt. And uh, it's very sexy. She looks great. And yeah, I know uh, many, many young people were like, oh, okay, I see. I see what's going on here. Yeah, this uh, they tried to avoid it, but this movie was still a sexual awakening for so many young young minds. Absolutely. But as she's getting undressed, we find out that the reason the alien was gone is because it had lodged itself in the shuttle. Oops. Um, yeah, and it's really scary to me when the the hand drops down because I always forget that it's just like tucked away in a little cubby back there. Yeah. <laughs> like the hand drops down, and you're just like, oh shit. There it is. It's so fantastic because, yeah, like you said, it feels like the movie might be wrapping up, 
But Ripley, uh, I'm going to say Ridley instead of Ripley. But I <laughs> I made that uh, mistake many times. I also <laughs> was like, why? It feels weird that it's so close to his name, right? It feels weird. <laughs> it does feel weird. Uh, I, I mean, maybe she's the, like, queen that he always wanted to be. She's a feminine hero and she's a mm. fucking badass. And Yeah, she sure is. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, she's uh, not... So lucky is what I was trying to say, because, yeah, this reveal is it, it made me chuckle a little bit uh, the last time, but it's it's so terrifying. She starts to like back into the closet to try and get away from it. And she starts putting on a spacesuit and you realize what she's trying to do. She's going to try and like blow it out the airlock. And she's like kind of like singing under her breath. It's obvious that it's because she's nervous and she's trying to kind of keep her mind off the fact that this alien could attack at any moment. And so she's kind of like singing nervously and you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? It does attack her. But as it attacks, she does manage to hit the airlock button and it, it goes out to the door, but it manages to hold on. Because this thing is nothing if not uh, uh, durable. <laughs> and so she has to shoot like a grappling hook at it to knock it off. But the grappling hook gets caught in the airlock door. So now it's just like tethered to the ship. And she's like, well, I, I, I don't want Whaley Yutani to get a hold of this. I don't want any governments to get a hold of this because this thing is a monster. So we need to make sure that it's it doesn't like just get dragged back to Earth on the back of the shuttle. So what she manages to do is she turns on like one of the jet engines and uh, it burns it and it, it flies off into the vacuum of space. And it looks a little goofy flying off into space, but it, it's still great. And it feels very satisfying that it took so many attempts to actually knock it off where you're like it, it it feels to me you can tell me if you feel differently that it would be kind of lame if she was just like oh air vent all right goodbye yeah it's i i definitely agree with the decision to uh give the xenomorph one last uh fighting chance to cling on because yeah i mean at this point it's already stuck around long enough that uh you know it's not going anywhere easily uh and so it definitely would have been a lot less satisfying if it just got blasted out on her first attempt so ripley does her final report she signs off bingo bango bongo there you have alien worth noting that there's 17 minutes at the end of this movie with almost no dialogue which is something that i really admire about this movie that it, it lets the action stand on its own but also i really want to shout out ridley scott for in the commentary he does he lets the scenes sometimes talk for themselves he he's not talking over this part of it um, and this happens a couple times prior as well which is something i really appreciate because you know you, you still want to like be able to watch this movie and a lot of these directors especially people who are doing it by themselves like ridley scott was they just feel like they need to fill every second and so for him to understand like oh, this is a really important scene. It's very impactful. I'm going to actually let them watch it, I think is really great. So, Yeah, I, I, I appreciated that scenes like that, uh, anything that he needed to say he felt could wait one second because he definitely had a lot of details to go over. So he could have easily talked over every second of this movie. So Yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about the movie at large now that we've gone through the plot. Um, we've already talked a little bit about this kind of cynical approach that, Ridley Scott has towards companies and and it's 
he talks about it in the commentary explicitly about this kind of approach that the movie is saying that the world will end up being run by corporations. But I think it's also it's pretty explicit in the text of the movie as well, especially in Blade Runner, but in this movie as well. And I I think that it's kind of interesting that this movie doesn't necessarily feel cynical to me until you kind of dig in a little bit. Do you get that feeling from it just on a surface level or or do you like do you not get that vibe until you dig in? Uh, I I would say definitely didn't really pick up on that uh, on the surface level because I don't know I had seen this movie a, a decent amount of times before I was I really thought about it and of course I was pretty young when I saw it the first time so that's my excuse yeah I mean it, it's if you want to you can really see this as as just like a haunted house movie in space type of thing but. I think uh, once you you really think about the these characters and their their motivations and what they're going through, that yeah, it's it's hard to unsee that aspect of the the film, but it's definitely not quite at surface level. Yeah, I I think it's very prescient though, so it's very impressive to me. One other thing I wanted to talk about is the theory that Jonesy has in fact been impregnated by the alien. We see later in the series that aliens uh, can in fact impregnate animals. I believe that there are like dog aliens at one point down the line. But yeah, and the the abomination that is Alien Three, I believe. <laughs> well, I actually this is a bit of a reveal, but I have not seen Alien Three or Four. Um, oh, yeah, I I did see Prometheus and Alien Covenant, but I just I was like I, I never wanted to taint Alien and Aliens. Yeah, well, that's and, completely understandable. I would say if you watch Alien Three, avoid the director's cut because it's uh, a little obnoxious. I, I yeah, it's definitely one of those things. Where I'm like I'll get to it eventually. I literally have the quadrilogy on Blu-ray, and I just I'm like uh maybe maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, Resurrection is uh, it's good fun, but it's a bad movie. But it's yeah, it has some cheeky moments. Uh, and I actually just uh, last week watched the tenth installment of the Friday of the Thirteenth series. Uh, uh, and next, yes, uh, and the the similarities between that and Alien Resurrection are quite substantial, I would say. Well, does Alien Resurrection have uh, an awesome freeze a lady's head in liquid nitrogen and then smash it on the counter kill? It doesn't, and that that was awesome. That was yeah. probably my favorite part of that entire movie. So, point, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but to get back to it, uh, yeah, so there's some, some theory that uh, Jonesy was, in fact, impregnated. This is kind of substantiated by the fact that Jonesy is so so far removed from the crew so often and is in the same supply room as when Brett finds the alien fully grown but I think perhaps uh, perhaps the most the thing that makes me feel like this is actually possible the most is the scene that I mentioned earlier where the alien uh, does in fact stumble upon Jonesy and leave him alone it's it's very curious there's nothing to indicate that the alien has is anything besides a killing machine so if it like had sensed that there was uh, an embryo inside jonesy then you know it, it might have left him alone and i think that the implications of if that's the case and he's now in stasis with ripley uh, on his way back to earth if aliens had never happened i think that that by itself is a, like a fun enough like sort of ambiguous ending where you're like oh this could be like a fun sequel idea or 
even just like something to think about, like uh, where you're like, you're never sure if he is or isn't, and you don't know what happens to Earth when she gets back. Do you find any merit in this theory? Do you think that it's uh, complete bullshit? I, I just want to get your take on it. Um, I mean, I will say uh, it, it it is a leaves a great open ending for a sequel of you know maybe a sequel that's not Aliens. Uh, but I I don't know. I I honestly haven't given much credit to that theory i appreciate it and i think it's definitely an interesting theory but i uh i'm too scared to admit that the cat has an alien in it you know it's uh, cats are so wholesome <laughs> you know yeah, i don't no. i don't want there to be an alien inside of it so yeah. i'm reluctant to say that that theory um is is the way i lean you know yeah well at the end of the day uh, aliens at least confirms that he makes it back to earth with no with no issues so uh luckily theory debunked but it is it's still fun to think about especially if you're just watching alien yeah um, it's definitely a good good territory for some fan fiction uh for people who only consider the first film canon yeah and so speaking of i was actually gonna make a joke at some point about this movie and how as far as i was like i was gonna say that there are no sequels besides aliens that they never made any other movies after the james cameron one but when i was watching the commentary in 1999 ridley scott says i always wanted to make a movie down the line maybe alien five or six where we find out where they came from and we go there and i was like you know what ridley scott I didn't like Prometheus, but god damn if I don't respect the hell out of you knowing what you wanted so far in advance and going after it. So Yeah, you know. I that blew my mind because hearing him literally just describe Prometheus 20 some years or however long before it actually was reality uh was was very interesting. I actually didn't I I I know uh that I should hate Prometheus and Alien Covenant even more. Uh, but those are the only two other movies outside of Alien or Aliens that I actually enjoyed. There's there's plenty to to pick apart about them, but and uh, uh, of course, prequels and origin stories are never really necessary. But I honestly was just happy to see some weird Ridley Scott shit on my screen, and I appreciated them for what they were. I. I I don't necessarily like when I when I consider the canon of the alien universe, I I'm pretty much only thinking of alien or aliens. Uh, it's it hasn't really affected my way of thinking about the the story or its origin. But I I had fun with Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Well, I have to respect that uh, even if I don't agree with it. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. Then let's flip it the other way. What do you think that the fact that Aliens is so good and beloved, what do you think that that does to the legacy of this movie? Do, do you think that it diminishes it at all? Because, oh, it's it got turned into this great uh, action movie that a, a lot of people debate whether that's better than this one. Um, they're very different. but Yeah, they're, they're two wildly different movies. And I, I could definitely agree with arguments on both sides saying – Alien or Aliens is the best movie of the franchise. They're both perfect in my mind, but in very different ways. And so I, I you know, I tend to lean Alien because I, I appreciate how dark and spooky it is. I wouldn't say that Aliens diminishes the the legacy or or the the overall story. 
but there are times when I could see disregarding the 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 what aliens established if when I'm just watching the first alien because right. yeah I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this I I no I, I think that you're right though because it it's, takes the series in such a different direction where sometimes I'm like uh, it's kind of a bummer that instead of just this one unstoppable killing machine it's thousands and thousands of these things and they're kind of tearing them apart it's a great great action movie um and it's a great sci-fi movie but it, it really feels very disparate from alien and so i agree that i don't know i it was i was just asking i don't know that i think that it diminishes the legacy of alien either but uh, i i do think that it kind of shifted what the series was going to do in a way that is not to my preference. I do love Aliens, I should say. I think it's a great movie. But uh, do I think that maybe it would have been better if it had not come out? Perhaps? Uh, Who knows what would have happened. But it's, it's a great movie, but I definitely agree that, like, an argument could be made that... It, it takes away from the mystery of the, the original film. Right. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, we're not here to talk about aliens. We're here to talk about Alien. And we've reached that point, Mike, where you tell me why Alien is the best horror movie ever made. Well, let me tell you, if you're not absolutely terrified by everything that happens in this movie, then you're lying. I, I mean... I, like I said, I'm a little bit claustrophobic, so I wouldn't want to be trapped on this ship without an alien. Uh, but the addition of being literally hunted one by one by this seemingly indestructible creature that, again, is horrifying to look at, I can't think of anything worse. And, you know, I've, as I mentioned probably a couple times, I've seen this movie a lot, and it still fills me with dread. Like, it's... It's just very tense. It's hard not to get wrapped up in in their situation and feel like you are trapped and about to get either eaten or melted by acid. And for that reason, I think that this is the most uh, effective horror movie ever. I I would say it's I might say it's my favorite movie ever, let alone my favorite horror movie, but that aside, it's truly terrifying. Mm-hmm. And uh, any arguments against the fact are uh, too macho for my blood. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I think that this is the best horror movie ever made because it is scary and it's really easy because it takes its time getting to know these characters. It's really easy to understand and put yourself in the shoes and understand their fear. The comparisons to Jaws are very apt. Jaws is also a very scary movie, but it's like, what if instead of being on the ocean, uh, you were even more isolated because if you go out into space, you die immediately just from the the elements or lack thereof, as opposed to just a shark chasing you. So you're trapped in this uh, spaceship. You have terrifying, unstoppable alien chasing you. Uh, Its blood is acid. It's got a second mouth. (laughs) The designs are crazy the set pieces are amazing the effects are just incredible and it's all topped off with an incredible attention to detail by the director and some really impressive performances not only from our main hero in uh, Sigourney Weaver but all the side characters do a really great job as well and so for that 
I think that it is the best horror movie ever made. Mike, I want to thank you for giving me the chance to talk about this movie. It's definitely one of my favorites as well. And I want to know if there's anything that you want to plug to the good people out there. Um, I, I guess I'll plug my podcast. I think you said earlier it's one of your favorite new podcasts. Um, I'd like to talk to you off mic. Uh, I'll give you 10 other podcasts that are way better. But yeah, Cage Slash Fight podcast. We're in the we we ranked all the movies uh, based on their Rotten Tomatoes ratings. And so we're still in the first round and we're slogging through all the trash that he has made. So it's, there's a it's, lot of it. <laughs> there's a lot of it so check it out if you're interested we talk way too long in every episode and we no, don't I disagree i think it's the perfect length we don't we go for every other week but sometimes you just don't want to watch captain corelli's mandolin so <laughs> shit happens so that's my plug yeah, well, yeah, let me let me uh, reiterate the fact that I think it's great. Um, no matter what Mike says, uh, it's a lot of fun. They have a lot of fun on the show, and I think that it really comes across, even when they are watching garbage. And they, they've already gotten to a couple of pretty decent ones, or at least ones that I enjoy. Uh, you, you know, covered uh, your Wicker Mans and your yeah. Ghost Riders so far, so yeah, there, I, there's I'll a like few Ghost gems Rider. in there. Yeah, so definitely go check out Cage Slash Fight. And as far as me, you can find you can find me on Twitter at Gerd Hef. Uh, you can find the show's Twitter uh, at Little Horror PHL. I know that Cage Slash Fight has a Twitter as well. Do you want to give that a shout as well? Uh, yeah, it's uh, I believe it's just Cage Fight Pod. No slash in that. Great. So definitely give them a follow as well. And thanks everyone for listening. And thanks again, Mike, for coming on the show. Bye. Bye. <laughs>